0: From the Upper Mount Samy'sville Studios in Samy'sville, Pennsylvania comes the We Talk Games Interviews. The Starcade Feature Showcase for some of our favorite hand-picked guests from We Talk Games. Just join us at wetalkgames.com for all the fun and excitement of talking games. On the line with me, Kyle Von Kubik. We are back for more. Yes, and today it's going to be a marathon. Yes. Indie Starlicious. Theme, if you will. Yes. Indie Starlicious. Mmm, tasty. Yummy. Yeah, we're going to start out with real backwoods, hardcore indie game creator. A guy that is just marching to the beat of his own drum. Yeah, independent uh, indep- gamer definition has his picture. Definitely. He's a soul, independent, bohemian lifestyle developer. Jason Rohr. A fantastic interview. We're also going to have Kelly Santiago from that game company. And we're going to wrap it up with one of the creators... Of one of the most successful series on the Wii, the BitTrip series, from Gaijin Games' Alex Noisy. A stacked lineup yes. we have. And, you know, this. Jason was the first person that we tried using routines. If you don't know, We Talk Games' uh, head office is the We Talk Games Committee for Podcast Conformity and Listener Integration, otherwise known as WCAF Please, yes. And they, they contract these devices from ritzing rosenstein's internet technology and enriched elbow macaroni and ritzing makes all these devices that are to make our interview process easier
1: so they say
0: yes and we just recently used this giant tesla coil thunderball to bring you into the studio but this was the eyebrows have almost grown back But this was the first time that we were using a beta version of the Magic Suck 8000 4D Holographity Cramar's Delicious Virtual Guest Generator, otherwise known as the Musasef Igda H-Simvig, uh, as they like to use acronyms at WCAG Flip Glees as well. And uh, so we'll see how that goes. This actually beamed Jason into his... St- I think I'll explain that uh, as well. Uh, so we'll see how that goes when we interview Jason Rohr, here it comes. We have the transmitter in Las Cruces, New Mexico, which, which is where Jason Rohr is. And this is going to beam some type of 3D holographic version of him to actually be live in the We Talk Game studio. Let me adjust his mic, actually. This is... Everybody knows this is an audio program, right? Okay, well, let's switch it on there, Keith. And beam in Jason Rohr in his holographic splendor. Jason Rohr, congratulations and welcome virtually right to the Trapdoor Chicken Coop Studio and Karaoke Bar. I'm here. You're right here. I'm here. I'm ready to go. Amazing. Yes. Now, uh you are like this uh you are wow. Where do you even start? Do you know where to start when you try to tell people what you do?
1: <laughs> oh, well, uh, uh, two years ago, or two and a half years ago, I was oh, just about two years ago. I was fetching uh, water bottles for people as a volunteer at a game conference. Wow! <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's been a it's been a roller coaster ride the past couple of years. Well, um, really, it's only been two and a half years, and you've already uh, well, I was I was designing games before that, but no one okay. no one paid attention
0: to them. Really, <laughs> I see, I see. I picked up a couple of your titles. They're
1: pretty much available for free. And yeah, people- yeah. I've made I've made uh, 13 games so far. I'm working on number 14 and number 15 right now, and they're all so far have been available for free from my website. And uh, except if you have an iPhone, there's I've made versions for the iPhone that I charge money for. Uh, sure, but uh, you know if you want to get it on Mac or PC, they're all free. And also a little bit of Unix there. I thought. Yeah, oh yeah, I, I, I shouldn't, shouldn't neglect, yeah, I uh, <laughs> shouldn't neglect Unix, yeah, so they're, uh, they can be compiled, you know, the source code is available for all of them as well, and so then if you have Linux or some other flavor of, of Unix, you can compile them yourself there too.
0: So you have come into the limelight as a game designer, you're a very unique game designer, but how did you, how did you get your start in game design?
1: Well, I was a a computer programmer for many years. Um, You know, I studied computer science in college and in graduate school, and I actually have half a PhD in theoretical computer science. Uh, Then my wife and I had a baby, and I decided to call call it quits on the academia scene and kind of went off on my own and did uh, released some peer-to-peer programs and some other things like that. One of my peer-to-peer programs actually was pretty popular at the time and and still is getting downloaded quite a bit today. It's it's called Mute. It was a a fully anonymous peer-to-peer program that... uh, was designed to uh, thwart the recording industry association of america when they were suing individual people
0: <laughs> sure sure
1: so anyway that i, I sort of ma- almost made a little bit of a name for myself in that sphere where i was you know being interviewed and traveling around giving talks and so on about my peer-to-peer work and then after i sort of had spent a year working on a project there and had really been a programmer for many years and knew how to program i said oh let's try making a game you know because over the years when i was learning how to program i would sort of try to make a game and it was really hard And kind of get half partway through it or a quarter of the way through it and, you know, not be able to do something. Programming games requires sort of all these multifaceted capabilities,
0: right? Mm. Yeah, and a lot of grunt work.
1: Well, yeah, and you have to you have to like build the system that reacts and reacts uh, in real time to the person's inputs and so on, and it's to get it all working and get it all tuned and everything is a lot of work. So um, I, at that point, I said, let's make a game, and I actually made one and, and released it. That was called Transcend, and I submitted that to a couple of independent game festivals. This was like probably four years ago now. And it got rejected by by them. <laughs> so then, a couple of years later, I made another one. It was called Cultivation, and it got accepted by one and rejected by the other. And then that was my first sort of foray into hanging out with other independent game designers and going to a festival and so on. That that was the uh, the Slam Dance Festival, which is primarily a film festival, but they had this little game game part of it. So I got to go to Park City at the same time as Sundance and walk around with all the movie stars walking up and down the streets in Park City and, you know, see all these cool movies and uh, and also, you know, meet filmmakers and have filmmakers play my game and so on. So that was sort of my first, like, little brush with success or whatever. Right, right. And uh, so that was exciting. And then pretty much since then, I've been doing nothing but game-related stuff. Sort of got sucked in. And then uh, in the fall of 2007, I released this little game called Passage which is my most well-known game to date. Um, mm. It was made for a little... Um Independent kind of party at, uh, at the Montreal International Game Summit called Gamma, where they they put out um, specifications that you have to meet uh, re- restrictions on your game design. Like, your game design has to. One, one example is that your game design has to use audio as an input. That was in a previous year. The year that I made Passage, it was that your game had to have really low resolution. Oh, okay. Low you know, visual resolution. So I made a game that was only 12 pixels tall by 100 pixels wide. Which is this little, like, almost like a web banner of a game. Sure, sure. And, yeah, I, um,
0: I've, I, this was one of the first titles I played of yours, and I played right. it on the Mac, and then I said, well, you know what, I, I have to play this on the go, and I got it from my, my iPod, so you got my 99 cents there.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you, sir. Yes, you're, that's you, how much I liked you're it. I, you're supporting the arts. <laughs> I am. And, and uh, but but, I but anyway, I so, Passage, you play when you play it on a Macintosh or, or even on an iPhone, you blow it up quite a bit and uh, to get to fill the screen and the pixels turn into these big blocks at native resolution that is actual resolution if you played it on your screen it's probably a little smaller than your thumb Wow! <laughs> and so it's this really tiny game but you know i i use those those you know those sparse graphics and some uh, pretty meaningful ways i guess or very intentional ways and then from there it was just like I mean, people liked that game so much and people blogged about it and i got calls for interviews in the wall street journal and all this other stuff that basically uh my career as a game designer essentially took off from there and i made something like 10 games over the next year and just really kind of sank my teeth into that scene and and uh just just did a lot of different stuff wow <laughs> so wow. it's it was a, it's been an uh, exciting and then you know I, I don't know esquire found out about me and did this piece and so that was another like publicity title wave and i'm still experiencing the long tail of that you know where people are calling me up a year later and saying i saw you in esquire will you do this or this or this you know i don't know so, and so when it what uh, an
0: odd magazine to uh <laughs> to latch on to you
1: yeah it was um uh, you know they well they have this thing every year it's like the best and brightest issue at the end of the year where right, they right. highlight uh, 20 or 30 people who are changing the world or doing interesting things and they always like to discover someone who's kind of undiscovered you know that's their thing they don't want to go and like Pick Andre Agassi, you know, (laughs) because he wrote this biography or whatever. Right. You know, they want to find somebody who's sort of a diamond in the rough or whatever and and sort of be the ones to get them. And, in fact, the, the journalist who called me, who was pitching the story to Esquire, was really adamant about me, you know, not doing any interviews with anybody else you know he's like you know if if, if new, you know the new yorker calls or anybody else calls tell them no and i was like what do you mean <laughs> don't blow up yet <laughs> right well yeah basically if in the journalism world if someone's working on a story and someone else at a different magazine gets that person and interviews them first the other story in the other magazine's canceled you know right, only right. one magazine will do a story about somebody at a given time so he was really worried about the story being killed. But, you know, no one ended up calling during that time, so uh, he got the exclusive, you know, and and wrote a really long piece that showed <laughs> talked about a lot of details of my life and, you know, I guess people thought it was pretty interesting. Um
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, your your life is is quite interesting. Now, do you play your life as a game or,
1: <laughs> in, a or way, you don't yeah. get in a way, yeah, get into I it do. that way. Okay. In a way I do. Yeah. Um Well, I mean, the other thing about that article is, you know, Jason Vigonis is like an amazing writer, you mm-hmm. know, So he was able to sort of I don't know. Uh, yeah i don't know craft a story turn turn, turn my life into something beautiful i guess when the way the, the way that he wrote about it um but yeah i do i do sort of um i do sort of not not because i'm a game designer i've been doing this for many years but sort of from college on i sort of you know was always questioning you know default path that everyone has to take, right? Mm -hmm. That, you know, you're going to come out of college, you're going to get this job, you're going to work that job at that time, you're going to work that job for five years or so, then you're going to get another job that's even better, and then you're going to get another Mm -hmm. job that's even better, and you're going to work your way up, and then you're going to, who knows what you're going to do, you're going to be some manager or or department VP in some big company, and then eventually you're going to retire, you know?
0: And then when it's all (laughs) over, you say, what happened?
1: where did my life go? For me, I guess the, the the turning this is kind of strange and maybe a little disturbing, but the, the one of the turning points for me was reading about um, Ted Kaczynski, who was the Unabomber. He was this Harvard professor, right, who kind of pulled himself off the rails. And, of course, he did some terrible things and hurt a lot of people with these bombs that he sent trying to stop science, trying to stop the progress of science. But he was – Living at a cabin, I think, in Montana or something like that, right? And so the idea that this really smart guy, a former Harvard professor, would choose to go and you know, pursue this like, simple life in this cabin you know, was really fascinating to me. And, you know, so I sort of was talking to my friends in college about this. You know, wow, why, why do you guys want to go get jobs? Why don't you just, you know, get a boat and sail around the world? Or Why don't you, you know, they were like, oh, you know, we want money. <laughs> sure, sure. We want money. But, you know, I grew up in a relatively uh, well-off family, you know, so I, I guess there's just sort of that cycle, right, where people don't have money, so they want money, they grow up and really work hard to get a lot of money, and then their kids, you know, have money and don't really care about it, so then they go off and do something else, and then the next generation wants money again, you know. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, but, you know, I grew up with those material possessions. I saw that they weren't that satisfying, right, Um, and that I didn't find them to be that interesting, and I wanted to pursue things that I really cared about and not just get stuck doing something that I didn't like just because it made, made, made money. And so, uh, you know, I really wanted to pursue, you know, something that I was passionate about. You know, at first it was science and then then computer science kind of stuff I was really passionate about. And then I sort of ended up, (laughs) without realizing it, I ended up going down the sort of artist path almost, which is something my parents always forbid. (laughs) Whatever you do, Jason, don't become an artist. Um, so, you know, they wouldn't have paid for art school, for example, if I had wanted to go to art school out of, out of high school. Wow. Um, so I sort of always had that in the back of my mind. I don't want to be an artist. I don't want to be an artist. <laughs> and then, you know, lo and behold, I guess I'm sort of living the life of an artist right now. It's just, uh, it's kind of surprising. I didn't think I was going to end up here.
0: <laughs> where, where did you uh, come from? Where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in Ohio. Okay. Um, and my, my parents own a uh, a printing company there. If you go into a store and you see those like batteries with a plastic bubble attached to a card sure sure it's called you know blister packaging so they make those kind of cards for screwdrivers and gi joes and all those light bulbs and all that kind of stuff so you know it was something that you know printing is interesting in its own right you know but i i don't know that my father was particularly passionate about the kind of cards he was making it was just lucrative right sure sure <laughs> yep yep um, let's talk
0: about mute a little bit this is something i didn't know about and why is the music industry so embarrassed about their product that they have to try to stop people from wanting to listen you know what (laughs) are they so embarrassed about
1: that i don't i wouldn't yeah that that's that's uh, a facetious characterization right (laughs) i mean they you know they they uh survive on this on this model where they were the only ones who had the capability of making copies right Sure. I mean, they had the you know, in order to manufacture CDs or even before before that, even more so, vinyl, you needed a big factory, and so uh, you know, copyright was designed to protect the people with big factories from each other, right? True. Uh, you spend a lot of money. You got a big factory. You're pressing vinyl or you're making books. You're printing books or whatever uh, with some some author that you signed, and you don't want some other company just coming and printing knockoff books, right? <laughs> so copyright was there to say, hey, you know. This company's printing these books, this other company's not, and that's the way it is. And it was really easy to police, right? Because these people are big. They have addresses. <laughs> they yeah. have equipment. They have buildings. So if so-and-so is putting out books that are knockoffs of yours, you can go and knock on their door and, and, and tape a letter from your lawyer there, right? <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, it wasn't really designed to handle the idea of people giving copies to each other of things, right? I mean, that's essentially what – people aren't selling copies through Napster if we go away back when. Right, right. Right. Um, People aren't selling copies, they're just sharing them with sharing them out of the goodness of their heart essentially. I mean once you download something from one of these peer-to-peer programs it is entirely the goodness of your heart that keeps you doing the illegal thing, which is sharing it back to other people, right? I mean, if if people just downloaded uh, movies from BitTorrent and immediately turned off their BitTorrent client in a greedy fashion as soon as they got it, and didn't have any altruistic motive, you know, there Bit- BitTorrent wouldn't work. It depends on people being altruistic and wanting to share with each other, wanting to keep the whole thing going. True. You know, so so the idea that you know people are <laughs> are being criminals by doing these person-to-person transactions for free. I mean, you know, copyright was never designed to designed to deal with that. Correct. So they're trying to sort of bend this law to kind of keep their. There was a de facto monopoly, right? Only the people with the printing presses, only the people with the vinyl fabs, you know, could make copies. And they try to to say, well, look, no, actually copyright gave us that monopoly. That's why we had that. When really, people naturally only want to pay for physical objects, right? Why do you think a hardcover book is more expensive than a paperback? <laughs> it's because you're paying for the physical object, you know? Why do you think you can get books for free at the library without paying the author a single penny? <laughs> You know, if, if we had to do it all over again, these people would want to abolish libraries. Sure. I mean, really, right? Yeah. I go in and get books all the time without giving the author anything. I get movies all the time from the library. I get, you know, three movies a week for free. And the people who made those movies don't get a single penny from me. How is it supposed to work? How are they supposed to survive? <laughs> you know, so the same argument can be made against libraries, you know, as an example.
0: True, true. True. Um,
1: but yeah, so I mean, why do you think people pay extra money for these big box sets and things of CDs? They're not really paying for the content, right? They're paying for this this physical thing.
0: Yep. yep. Um, they will pay for it if they like it.
1: Right. Right. Well, it's all kind of it's all kind of kind of mixed up, I guess. I don't know what, what's really going to happen. I think technology will keep kind of trumping, <laughs> trumping them. Right. I mean, BitTorrent is very. Um, it's not really designed around any kind of security or anonymity or robustness, right? I mean, if you take down the BitTorrent tracker, like Pirate Bay is operating, and the only reason it's still there is because it's in Sweden, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, if they go, and they have. They've taken it down a few times, and then they get it back up. And But if you go and attack that server and take it all down, it's over. But, you know, there's other technologies waiting in the wings that just kind of like something like Mute that would jump in and say, okay, well, BitTorrent's down. Uh, here's this thing that you can't take down, you know? <laughs> Uh, or even Nutella is something that you really can't take down. Right, right. Um, BitTorrent's the most efficient, but if they're gonna if they're gonna attack that, then something else will pop back up. So it's sort of this this arms race, really. You know, and I I don't know. It seems like how many years has this been going on? When did Napster come out? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been what ten years? Ten years than, at least. More than yeah. ten years. Yeah. Yep. And uh, the fact that this is still going on is not a good sign for these people. <laughs> Right on. (laughs) The fact that they haven't vanquished it yet.
0: What led you to, I mean, I've been giving away my media for free as well, uh, 2006, so that's when I I think I started. Uh, What made you adopt this uh, give it away, and if people like it, they will pay you what they feel it's worth?
1: I don't know. Uh, It sort of came over the years. I mean, it came part of out of the open source kind of thing, because I I became sort of an open source zealot, I guess, one of these people who was like, "Yeah, Linux is amazing. Oh yeah, you know." So I run Linux now, even to this day. I've been running Linux for like ten years, and, um, and just seeing how great it was that you know these things were open and available. When you had a problem, you could like look online for a solution that somebody else has found and and actually apply it, you know, not get stuck with some bug that's not going to get fixed for two years because Microsoft has that long of a queue. You know, and just that, I don't know, uh, oh, that Linux would support things that weren't in the best interest of a big company like Microsoft, you know, where Microsoft will now ship an operating system without OpenGL installed because they're trying to get Direct3D to be the dominant thing.
0: Sure.
1: All these sort of anti-platform independent kinds of things that Microsoft and Apple are doing all the time, trying Mm. to lock you into their platform. That stuff wasn't happening on Linux, and, and it just seems so so good, you know? And it just works so well, and all the web servers in the world are run on Linux now, you know? Because yep. it's just so much better. So I was really excited about what was happening there, and it just sort of kind of grew on me, right? The idea that, hey, what are, the idea that we're going to tell two people behind closed doors and the privacy of their own home that they can't give my game to their friend <laughs> it's just a strange thing to try to do and so you know and, and if you read Thomas Jefferson or you read some of these people who have done a lot of thinking about this stuff the idea that when Joe gives a copy of my game to Sam it doesn't really diminish my use of that game at all right it's like someone lighting a candle for someone else right yep. <laughs> Um you can keep spreading the candle flame on and on and on and the original flame is not diminished at all um, so the idea that you know once you kind of release something out there, you really don't have control over it anyway, right? I mean, you can pretend you do. <laughs> sure. But you can't go into everyone's bedroom in the United States and tell them that they can't hand a copy to, uh, of this tape to their friend, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, sneaker net will prevail even if they shut down the internet. <laughs> so, yeah, I just started, started thinking along those lines. And it's just like sort of releasing that that sense of control. Once you get something out there, it's not really yours anymore right i mean people right. are going to do what they want with it you could pretend that they're not but they're going to um so definitely. just kind of letting that happen you know
0: definitely definitely and speaking of that what do, so what do you create on when you when you want to make a
1: game what what's your palette how does it
0: start <laughs> from idea where do you uh, go yeah to yeah
1: so um I I start off on paper, um, in a notebook, just kind of writing down ideas, and I pretty much, for most of my games, have sketched out the entire design on paper first, which includes, by design, I mean most of how the game's going to work, right? Mm -hmm. Like in the case of Passage, oh, you're going to be walking around in a maze, and the maze is going to be more dense as you go further south, and there's going to be these treasure chests in the maze, and there's going to be this woman you can run into, and when you run into her, you walk together. Like, all that stuff is in my notebook about Passage ahead of time, with some little drawings of how the screen might look, and... and and how the screen will be compressed as you know go further off into the future and so on all these kinds of things so all that i have little sketches of how the screen's supposed to look i I start from there i sort of sometimes i'll even go sit out in the woods or whatever and and work on something when i'm looking for a lightning bolt but oftentimes you know some idea will just come to me and i'll just scribble down like 11 pages of notes about a full game design so then i have it pretty much done in terms of like how it's going to work and then i sit down to make it and i uh, for the case of passage I, i program in a native language like using c++ and um and Passage, actually, I was putting pixels directly onto the screen. But wow. some of my other games, I've used OpenGL for sort of... I'm not making 3D games, but I'm using OpenGL to draw some of the sprites and things on the screen. Right, right. And then for seven of my games, I had to make them in one week each because I was doing it for a magazine. That was for the Escapist. They wanted a game every month for me. from me, and I could really... Because of them out there paying me, I could only spend about one week on each one. <laughs> so I used Game Maker, which is an amazing tool for sort of point-and-click game development. Okay. Um, If you want to program, it has that capability, too, if you want to do something more advanced. But you could do a pretty complicated game, just dragging and dropping and connecting objects together and defining relationships among the objects. It's sort of like the Photoshop of of game implementation, really. I mean, it's really that good. Okay, great. Um, so uh, and that's like free if you want to download it and twenty dollars if you want to pay for the full version (laughs) so uh yeah so that was that's an amazing tool and i made but the only problem is the games are windows only i mean they're coming out with a mac version soon but they'll never they'll probably never be a linux version right right so it's one of these closed source technologies that i (laughs) I don't like (laughs) i had to boot up windows to use it which didn't make me happy (laughs) (laughs) i hear you and when does the music come into these games Well, in the case of Passage, Passage was designed for an event, like I said, it was designed for a party where they, were, they put out this call for games that had to be low-resolution, and they got a bunch in, and they picked the best, I think, like eight games. And they had these big projector screens up inside this dark kind of club scene. And they had loud music played. people up on stage, DJs and techno artists and so on, up, up on stage playing loud music, and there was alcohol served and whatever. So there was no sound output for the game. So they said, you know, your game can't depend on sound. It's pretty much a waste of time to put sound in your game. So the initial version of Passage had no music or sound whatsoever. When I decided I was going to release it for the public, You know, it's kind of strange. It's a silent game, and I guess it could have been. But So I I wrote music for it at that point. But some of the other games have music designed into them, you know, from the very beginning. Like, in the design doc, when I'm writing down the notes, I'm talking about how the music will be dynamic and what it will do. Um, Like in the case of Gravitation, which is the game I made right after Passage, Mm -hmm. the music changes depending... The character's going through these mood cycles from mania to depression. And the music changes dynamically depending on the mood. And, you know, the player's sort of in control of the mood as they play the game by the actions that they take, they can cause the mood to change. And so you, the music follows that, you know, dynamically. Um, and in my game Between, you're building this tower out of blocks, and as you build the tower higher and higher, the music is you're sort of adding to the music as you build more layers of the tower. So you start off with this very simple one-track kind of song, and then kind of are adding tracks to it as you build the tower. So yeah, a lot of my games, I, I, I really want my games to have dynamic music. I mean, in the case of Passage, the music was sort of this afterthought, you know, so it didn't really fit in with the gameplay. But in all my other games that have sound and music, they've always some sort of dynamic aspect to it.
0: And you are just a sole single-person game designer.
1: That is right. <laughs> all graphics, sound, programming, everything. Soup um, to nuts. Somebody described me. <laughs> somebody said that I, I code every part of the buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I do, I do everything, and I, uh, at least so far. And I've really enjoyed that. I think people respond to that as well, right? Because they... Sure. When they get the game, they sort of understand that every aspect of this is someone's personal expression. And that's also something that's so, so rare in the game industry because we've, we've turned into this really large team medium, you know, which is like film, right? Film is a large team medium. Most Definitely. films are made by a large team. But yep. in film, we still sort of left room for the director to put his or her hand on it and, and oftentimes take credit for it as the author. You know, the auteur model where the director is sort of wielding the team like a paintbrush.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Um, and in the game industry, we're not really doing that at all. Where we don't really have one person in, in control. It's really a true team effort where you have like potentially 100 people who are all kind of collaborating. And maybe one person is sort of guiding the process, but not so much. So the idea that you're going to have something personal. Mainstream video games really don't have any personal expression at all. You know? um, so the idea that you'd have a game that the whole point is a personal expression really stands out and there's a, you know, a number of people doing that now and a number of the people who are really pushing the medium forward are sort of these lone wolf <laughs> designers i mean it's, it's much easier to call someone an artist when they're working completely alone sure you know, like a painter or someone working on a piece of studio music or yep. you know or whatever singer songwriter who's sitting like bob dylan sitting up there with a guitar right um so it's it's really easy to point to that person and say oh that person's an artist look at this thing they're putting together everything's all thought out just out of the out of their head you know
0: yeah, I just finished Pagel, and I was sort of astonished when the credits rolled. It was a team of far exceeding what I thought went into it. I mean, it's pretty complex for what it is, but I was really floored as the credits kept kept rolling. I don't know if some of them were <laughs> just jokes or their
1: family or what, but it was no, no, they're not jokes. I mean, <laughs> it was amazing. It was well, amazing. I mean, these credits. Like, I guess Peggle is one of those games that is like one of these high production value games, right? Where even though the idea is simple. Which is basically a pachinko machine, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Aimable uh, pachinko. Yeah, even though the idea is so simple, there's just sort of all these layers. You know, there's some animations that happen, sure. and there's little cutscenes and things, and then you know, there's just so much. Poly- and every time you go uh, advance through different levels, all the graphics are different, right? Yep. Like the, they keep the backgrounds keep changing, and the, the the way the the particles are change a little bit, and so on. I'm of so talking out of my ass here because I've not played Peggle. <laughs> no, it, you're completely right. Uh, it,
0: it, you know, they had a team for everything: a team for the for the explosions, a team for Different characters on each level. Right. So you're, you're. Well, and of
1: course, the, you exactly know, every, right. probably there's a bunch of different music that went into it as yep. well, and it's probably all original music. So, I mean, there's this sort of idea that even in the casual game scene, which is what Peggle's an example of that you know, these really high production values are what's going to drive you know, something that's going to be a big hit. I guess people do respond to that, right? When they look at a screenshot or something, it looks pretty, right? Sure so, do. It's uh, a great
0: game. It's very addicting. But, uh, yeah, I think when I look at your games, I think Bob Dylan's a perfect example. I, I do see these more, and I come from a musical background as well, so I think that these are really like little songs happening. I mean, right, you know, right. M- more than a song, but uh, but that's that's what they are. Well, They're not really... necessarily.
1: I mean, passage is only five minutes long, right? <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> and, and unlike a song, people play passage only a handful of times at most, right? Because I course, might go back play- to it. Well, maybe you go back to it, but come on, you're not going to play it as many times as you've listened to one of Bob Dylan's songs. (laughs) So, well, I'm not saying comparing myself to Bob Dylan, I'm just saying, you know, music has this sort of longevity to it, right, where, you know, how many times have I listened to the Beatles a day in the life, right? Mm -hmm. But but in the case of Passage, it's like, you play it once, okay, you certainly haven't seen everything there is to see, so you play it again to see what happens if you don't take the wife this time, Mm -hmm. or what happens if I try to go deep in the maze, does the maze have an end, you know, whatever, you try to answer some of these questions, but if you even if you wanted to answer all of those questions to your full satisfaction that's like probably five playthroughs total and then after that what's left except to sort of go back through it again and be, and because games are about interactivity and exploration and those kinds of things unlike music mm. music isn't so much about exploring things that you i mean everyone you listen to a song and you hear things you didn't hear before but it's not so much about seeing things you completely weren't even on the screen before
0: <laughs> yeah, right right it's finite um,
1: Right, right. And so, so when a game, you sort of uh, run aground, if you will, or run out of gas in a game because you've, you've sort of learned everything there is to learn, it's really very natural to sort of cast it aside, right? Maybe you'll come back and play it again just to have that Twins of Emotion again or whatever. but But the core of the game is sort of done for you. And that's a lot of mainstream video games... Both indie and mainstream video games are like that, right? Where they can be finished. Where mm-hmm. you sit down and you play it, you get sort of everything there is out of the game, you sort of get the message the designer has for you, or you get to the end and beat the boss, or whatever it is. And then you're done with it, and you move on to another game. And I'm sort of exploring alternatives to that, right? If you go and look at a game like chess, or you look at a game like Go. You never finish chess, right? Right, right. (laughs) Um, And there's a bunch of other games, uh, you know, like these German board games like Settlers of Catan and so on that have this kind of property as well. And so just trying to figure out, you know, is this sort of really deep replayability one of the things that is really special about games, you know, and um, is that what sets games apart, you know, or is the the requirement of having another person involved in the experience with you what sets games apart, right? Because you could be on an island by yourself with a DVD player and a book, and those would be great. But your chessboard is not going to be any use to you on that island by yourself, <laughs> you know. So, so it's it's really interesting that games can be this thing that you know require other people to experience and so on. And and we're not really exploring that in the mainstream or even independent video game scene because there are all these single player games that sort of are start to finish experiences where you where you kind of finish them and put them back up on the bookshelf. So yeah, yeah. So I think there's um, we're still figuring so much out about what makes our medium tick and. How we're different from board games, if we are, and all these other questions, um, where we really don't even like I don't, film is film is sort of settled on this vocabulary and and settled on a way to make interesting artistic statements and so on. It's settled on that forty years ago.
0: Right, right. You could turn the screen sideways, like Brian Eno, but you know, but then that's, that's about as much as you could do. Uh, but video games is is this huge palette. I mean, it goes in so many different directions
1: right and it's sort of in a, in a way it's a superset of of all the other mediums right because you know if you really wanted to you could use a PlayStation 3 to make something that looked like a film right right sure <laughs> all you had to do is play a film yep. <laughs> in fact it does play films it does <laughs> so, it all yeah it does it all yeah so so and and music and all these other things are part of it and you can make the game once you t- trim the interactivity out of it it basically turns into a movie sure um, so we're kind of like you know, the starting point is, well, we can at least do that movie thing. What else can we do? And we're trying to sort of figure that out. So that's part of our problem. I think it's this sort of embarrassment of riches where there's just so many possibilities that you don't really know what to do. And then people just kind of copy the last successful medium they knew, which is film. (laughs) Um, So so we're still trying to figure out, well, is there something games are going to offer that's completely different from that? And what is that? And how is interactivity going to be used to deal with characters and stories and things that are important to people as opposed to just shooting things my friend chris hecker says that you know the easiest uh the easiest film to make is people talking just stick a camera in a room with some friends and let them talk right Mm. whereas the hardest film to make is spaceships flying around shooting lasers at each other whereas the easiest game to make is spaceships flying around shooting lasers (laughs) at each other but the hardest game to make is a room with a couple of people talking to each other so he's talking about the grain of the medium right what's easy and hard and uh And, yeah, so we've had a lot of trouble, you know, tackling things that are meaningful to, you know, someone over 30.
0: (laughs) Sure, right. And i got to tell you, I was tickled that Passage was moving, and yet it was a video game. You know, there's no mistaking that you're playing a video game.
1: Right, right. Although there were a bunch of, uh, you know, detractors on on, uh, comment rolls on blogs and so on. He said, this isn't even a game. All you (laughs) do is hold right the whole time. (laughs) And then someone would come oh, on you and, could do and, come that, and say, try pressing the down arrow, you idiot. You, know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can walk down, too. Uh, listen, oh, I, 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 get that, that.
0: I get that every single week. I release a video podcast on YouTube, and YouTube is the worst for anonymous comments. And no matter what, every single week, every show, the quality is terrible. It's a 300-meg file that has a giant banner that says... The quality will improve after this video is done being processed, and yet people
1: still feel compelled to type. The quality is not as good as last week. Well cuz what what YouTube like throws up a, a like a preview copy until they're done processing it. is that how it works? Exactly. And it oh, but it says
0: it in the giant banner above the video. <laughs> and yet the right. people will still type it's not as clear as last week. <laughs> so this yeah, is what we're dealing yeah.
1: with. It's the internets, right?
0: <laughs> yes, you can't design for those
1: people. If you do, well, I guess you could. That might be an interesting game. Yeah, yeah. Try to hit the lowest common denominator square, <laughs> right between the eyes. Is where you want to hit them, right? Yeah, you just have to um, make it
0: complete sensory immersion immediately in every second.
1: Right. Yeah, but I mean that you know you talked about how passage is a hundred percent game, and that was really my intention behind it. I you know I I wanted to do, do, do something that dealt with things that were somewhat important to people or had some sort of meaning to someone's life or something but i didn't want to do it with cut scenes or mm-hmm. with like characters talking on the screen and so on so i cut all that stuff out you know from the get-go i never even thought about putting cutscenes scenes in or, or dialogue or anything like that like what can you do just with interactivity and and you know of course i guess in terms of specifics it's, it's a very sort of general game right because it's about sort of this anonymous man and this anonymous woman and you don't know anything about their personalities or anything so you know it doesn't really delve into specifics the way like a movie would where it would paint a portrait of these characters and so on so it does sort of miss that and i guess that's that's one of these things that we're going to struggle with right how do you make things more specific in terms of individual people or individual stories or whatever and at the same time keep it interactive and i mean there have been a couple of fits and starts in that direction but uh <laughs> it's a really hard problem so that's why people keep falling back on these non-interactive things like cutscenes scenes and whatever but there's a number of us here trying to say well what can we do even if we don't worry about trying to solve that problem uh, which is what like a game like passage does you know Right on, man. Hey, well,
0: i got to tell you, you know, it's just as interesting behind the other side of the keyboard as it is uh, for your games. And I'd love to send people to check out your website. How do people find out more about you?
1: Probably a Google search is the easiest thing. Google, uh, my name, Jason Rohr, R-O-H-R-E-R. And uh, you'll be taken to my homepage right away and some other things that I've done and so on, and uh, you can go from there. All my games are on my homepage uh, as free downloads for Mac, PC, and Unix or Linux, and uh, a and lot more. Of, uh
0: because you do a lot more—you do the writing, you do the music, you do the books. Oh yeah, well there's all there's all sorts of other
1: stuff on there too, yeah. <laughs> and on iPhone, I have two games on iPhone. So if you search in the App Store, uh, you'll see uh, Passage. If you search for Passage, it's ninety nine cents, and my puzzle game Primrose is two dollars and ninety nine cents, um, and they can both be found in the App Store.
0: Very good. I'm going to check out that Primrose. Now, do you play any games, or don't you have time for that?
1: Well, as I've gotten older, my interest in in games is sort of diminished because so you I make, make one because that you well, aren't because game. Be- because the i sort of outgrown what the game industry is producing most sure um so it's gotten to the point where there's like in terms of the mainstream games there's like one or two games a year that are slightly interesting to me mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. um
1: right now i'm kind of going back and, and hitting some peaks that i missed in the past uh i'm playing indigo prophecy on the playstation 2 which is a pretty interesting game sort of an interactive story kind of game and then i'm playing um I'm playing Half-Life on the on the PC right now, which i would never played. Imagine that. Oh, Half-Life 2. <laughs> yeah. I've never played Half-Life 2. And and people are always talking about it and I'm sort of playing through it and kind of like groaning at how long some of these segments are where you're riding this jet ski through the swamp or whatever. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, is this going to end? But I'm trying to get to the gravity gun. I haven't gotten to the gravity gun yet. <laughs> and that's what right?
0: everyone's telling you about. Yeah, I have big-name titles still on the shelf for a couple of years. They got dust on them
1: right right yeah so and i i do keep up with what's going on in in like the art game scene you know i mean every month or so there's some new artistic kind of independent game that's coming out mm-hmm. so I, I play all those and, and think a lot about those um, those are usually you know pretty high density experiences that are really worth my time you know i don't have to sink 40 hours into where where 30 of those hours are riding a jet ski around at a swamp. yeah so i do i do try to keep up with those and i also you know go back and try and hit things that i've missed um I also I'm um, uh, playing a little bit of Splinter Cell: Chaos Theory because uh, one of my friends, Clint Hawking, designed it way back when. And okay. So you know I, I tried to play some friends' games and so on. I played Far Cry 2 a little bit last year, which which Clint also worked on, which is a pretty interesting game. Okay, very um, good. But uh, yeah, there's a few high points. You know, there's BioShock, uh, Portal, oh, yeah. Far Cry 2. There've been a couple or a little Big Planet. I mean, there's there's cool things happening. This year was a real dry year, though. You think so? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We I've been talking to some friends about that. Like, what was the best game this year? And people can't really. <laughs> Fallout 3? Oh, no, that was last year.
0: <laughs> I honestly think it was Trials HD, which is pure just adrenaline and, you know, fun. There's not a lot uh, happening cerebrally, but... Uh, what What is that, a racing game? No, yeah. I don't even know what it is. Well, see, that's the problem. It has the worst name ever. Trials? But, uh, trials hd it's for the uh, the xbox 360 also on a mac and pc but i would i would play with a controller and it's just like it's excite bike to the nth degree with explosions and boulders and a lot of finesse and nothing like Excite Bike at all, but it it still it gives you that Excite Bike sensation. It's a it's sensation. A, it's a, um, a dirt bike racing game. Well, you no, know, it's all in a closed course. In fact, it's in it's in a, a giant warehouse, warehouses that don't exist. And there's all different types of wooden ramps and boulders to try to go over and thing. Uh-huh. And you know you can't hit the explosions or they will blow you up. And it's it's very so it's well supposed
1: to be oh, so it's supposed to be um like illicit underground racing or something. Yes, like they're, uh, they're, they're in these warehouses, and they're not supposed to be there.
0: You're only challenging yourself to a time trial, uh, uh, and your friends.
1: Right, right. But it's, but you're uh, on a motorbike.
0: You are on a motorbike, okay, okay. and got you can that really, that. F- really finesse it around. So not a lot in the cerebrally uh, stimulating and growth. You're not gonna, It's not like going to a library, uh, but <laughs> for fun factor, I think it's one of the it's best It's the game games of the year. the year. Yeah, definitely. We've got it. We've got it. And, well, and actually, it's, out of, it's out of the same um, company that brought you monster truck racing thing, turbo. Okay, okay. <laughs> Which, yeah.
1: uh, nothing like this. So, definitely <laughs> Actually, trials. The, the, game, the game of the year for me is this uh, little independent game called Spelunky. Have you played Spelunky? I have not played that yet. You, that, that is on your list to download today, sir. I will go do that. <laughs> it is the, I would say it's close to being the game of the decade.
0: Oh, fantastic.
1: <laughs> it turns everything on its head and, uh, and is, is, is really fantastic.
0: I'm all for that. Now, what are you going to do next to turn your world on its head?
1: <laughs> yes, well, um, I'm currently working with a publisher, Majesco, uh, oh. on, on a game for the Nintendo DS which will actually, at least the plan so far, is to be sold as a cartridge uh, in real stores and real boxes. Fantastic. Um, So it's a DS game that will also take advantage of the DSi's camera if you have a DSi. It's a game about diamond traders operating in Angola during the eight months preceding the... uh, un 's passage the Kimberly process for diamond certification <laughs> uh, so it's it 's a, a two player strategy game with incomplete information and 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 sort of spying on each other and that sort of thing i 'm hmm. um, uh, more than halfway done with it i 've been working on the artificial intelligence over the for a single player version of the game over the past month uh, but other than that the gameplay for two players is all done wow. and should be released sometime in two thousand and ten that 's the plan well Jason
0: definitely keep us in mind you 're welcome to hologram back in all Right. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It's a little like peanuts in here. What? Oh! oh. 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 That's not good. I put it out. Well, I got my winter wonderland, I guess. And uh that does not smell pleasant. Jason Roar, one of the most eccentric video game creators I think of the modern age and definitely (laughs) leaving a lasting impression thanks to our friends at RIT team now is that guy cool or is that guy cool the coolest in fact and And a nice guy all around oh A sweetheart, and when you can win a court case against your county about growing grass, that's uh, that's another plus in your plus column. Better, yes. And now on that same show, uh, we talk games ten, the little giants. We also interviewed Kelly Santiago from that game company, and their big hit at that time was Flower for the PlayStation Three. And I'll talk about my first-time experiences with uh, Flower as well uh, during the interview. But it was really neat because Flower had won a lot of indie game awards. Right. Let's get Kelly on the line. Let's find out what happened with our interview with Kelly Santiago. We are incredibly fortunate to have our next guest on the line. I know that she's been in high demand since Flower's just blowing up all over the place as the Independent Game of the Year. Open the line, Keith. Santa Monica, California! Kelly Santiago of That Game Company. Go! Welcome to We Talk Games, Kelly. Can you hear me? Yeah. Am I coming through? Yep. Okay, very good. Kelly, uh, you know, I was expecting an intern, and here I got the president. (laughs) What's going on?
2: (laughs) Well, there are only ten of us here, so we don't have interns.
0: Okay, very good. (laughs) But, but, I mean, you're holding the conch, I'm sure, so uh, I guess you, you you are the president of... That Game Company.
2: That's right. President and co-founder with Jenova Chen.
0: Very good. And That Game Company has been in the news, the recipient of many awards and nominations for awards. And you're really getting a lot of props. I see even that Flower is once again topping the charts of downloadable content for the PlayStation Store.
2: Oh, really? I hadn't even seen that yet. That's excellent news. And, and yeah, I mean, it's just uh, every day this week has been some, you know, getting mentioned as part of uh, some new best of 2009 list. It's just been awesome.
0: That's fantastic. And, and well-deserved as well. I, I mean, oh, I'll, thank you. I'll talk about my life experience with uh, Flower as we go on. But let's find out a little bit more about you. Now, you graduated from USC. That's right. KSCR 104.7 FM, underground. Did you ever listen to that station? The, the uh that's the USC station
2: it is oh. <laughs> i've never heard that call sign. Okay. Yeah. Well,
0: they might have they might have ripped down the underground since the last time i was there i i was interviewed there i don't know maybe 10 15 years ago uh by michael virginia and bindi oh. bindi was the intern see they had interns what's going on here uh so yeah they interviewed me for my my band back in the day but i really enjoyed uh, the campus while i was there but you were in uh, band I still am doing. That. I'm still doing the music, the trap door, and
2: awesome.
0: Yeah, do do a lot of different things. Now you graduated with a master's of the.
2: It's a master's of fine arts in interactive media, and that was at the um, School of Cinematic Arts.
0: Oh, okay, and very good.
2: Yep. That's where Jenova and I met and um, a couple other people, actually, who are also here at that game company. But he and I were in the same class. of The the master's program is really small. There were nine people in our class. So we worked on projects before, but then it was um, the student game cloud, which is what... During the course of that project is where we really found kindred spirits in each other and sort of in sort of the kind of games we wanted to make and put out in the world
0: Sure, sure, yeah, and you say it was a small class. I like fine arts in interactive media that sounds like it hasn't probably been around for very long.
2: right well, we were the second incoming class when we started in two thousand three. Um, okay. We were the second graduating class as well. So it was very new. We used to joke that our main hub of of our program was upstairs in the building, um, the Zemeckis Center, and we would joke that you know no one knew what the what the heck we were doing upstairs.
0: Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing.
2: Uh, but that changed really rapidly. I mean, I think they they had uh, excellent timing with when they started that program because it was just really the next five years where we saw, you know, now there are a lot, a number of game design programs and interactive media programs around the world.
0: Sure. And I guess with the inundation of all the outlets now for smaller companies or even independent game designers, it's just amazing that the little companies can compete and deliver as much enjoyment, as much satisfaction, as much of a video gaming experience, whatever that now entails, as the big companies that have been around since the inception of video games.
2: Oh, yeah. And I think that definitely the growth in digital distribution forums has Absolutely accelerated the growth of the of the programs and the number of people who are now interested in getting into game design because they really see a lot of opportunities to make their own kind of games and then get people to play them. I mean, even just putting them up for free on your website.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, definitely.
2: Um, it's, just, it's really cool, and it's, it's it's bringing a lot of people who before probably would have never been able to get their own game design out there to do that. Um, you were talking that you had Jason Rohr on your show. Mm-hmm. I think that's a perfect example of someone who, who I absolutely adore his video games, but in previous business models, there's probably no way I would have ever had access to them before.
0: Exactly. Yeah, tell us about cloud, the the orchestration, the immersion. What leads into making cloud? Now, you said it was part of a project. So mm-hmm. can we know a little bit more about this?
2: Yes. There's the um, Game Innovation Lab at USC. When we were in our second year of the program, um, they offered a grant for a student team to build a game that only requirement for it was that it had to be innovative. And as I said, the interactive media program was in the School of Cinematic Arts. So it wasn't in the computer science program. So we had a wide range of talents on the team. And so we thought, you know, what can we do? Because we can't innovate technologically. So we sort of examined how we could innovate on content. And it was actually right around a time when, what was that? I think Grand Theft Auto San Andreas had just come out. So there's another okay. surge in the media that happens sort of every time a, a really violent video game comes out that sort of just just bans the entire <laughs> medium as a whole, that video games as a whole are awful, that sure. they're teaching our children to kill, all these terrible things. And we thought, well, could we make a game that really proves that... You can express something different in a, in a game, and on top of that shows that people would be really interested in this kind of game, which we really didn't know at the time. If people would be sort of interested in it or have fun playing a game, that was kind of different from all of that. Yeah. Um, and so there's, Genoa had been thinking for a while about a mechanic of... Like affecting a world through the weather systems, and then simultaneously to that, you know, we're trying to think of content that would evoke a different emotion. And we came upon this feeling of remembering what it was like to be a kid, looking at the clouds and daydreaming, and if we could create a game that evoked that emotion, and that's where it led to the final game of Cloud, which is still up on the internet at thatcloudgame.com, and. In it, you play as a boy who's trapped in a hospital who daydreams he can fly through the clouds. And so you you grab clouds and move them around, and you can write with them, and then you can create rainstorms with dark clouds. Um, Then we put it out into the world sort of as part of submitting to a number of independent game festivals and it just really took off um, in this completely viral way, of course, because we're students, so we didn't have any way to market thing. Sure, sure. uh It was just really unbelievable um, how it spread around the world and all the different kinds of people we had responding to it and just really genuine response of praise towards the great game. And that's really what took Janelle and I to the next step, which is to say, hey, people really do respond positively to this kind of stuff. You know, maybe we could actually... Keep doing this and make a living (laughs) doing this. Uh
0: And then what was next, Flow?
2: So yeah, so Flow was actually Genova's thesis project. We all had to do a, an individual thesis project and a contribution to the medium. I actually did this uh, motion capture control system for clouds, so you could fly with your body. Oh right, right,
0: I, um, I saw it controlling that, yeah. the
2: game. And Genova's thesis was on applying Mahali Chicks and Mahali's Flow theory, or the theory of how people get into the zone or get into having fun applying that to video games. And what he came to was that if through the core mechanics of a game, you allow the player to determine their own experience, if they want a hardcore experience, if they want a casual experience, then that allows your game to sort of appeal to a wider range of people. Somewhat ironically, this is, this is completely what is happening in Grand Theft Auto, where through driving, you can create a hardcore experience by ranking up your star level really high or you can go on the missions or you can just have, be really casual and just, you know, run around and bump into people and hear what they say and stuff like that. Sure. So Flow was just this flash game that was a really, really simple implementation of that. And again, it was just got a huge response from his website. And we were approached by Sony sort of in our talks about doing a game for the playstation network uh we were originally approached about cloud but we just realized it would be too much for a new team i mean none of us had development experience before Mm -hmm. so we decided to take the more simpler game flow and put it on the playstation 3 which turned out to be a good decision because it was not so simple (laughs) <laughs> it yeah, was see. really, really tough, and, and uh, we learned a lot. I definitely learned why you hear veterans in the industry say that, uh, you know, nothing compares to you once you've shipped that first game. You're really forever changed by it. Um, there's nothing like it.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> now I know that you actually were contracted by uh, by Sony, is that correct? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's right. We're in a, a three-game development deal with Sony Santa Monica.
0: And do you get like dev kits and what? What is what's all involved you know, with
2: that? Yeah, under that they supply dev kits. Uh, now there are a couple different kinds. You have dev kits and test kits, which are smaller and cheaper, but have less debugging functionality. Yeah, I mean, basically the, the idea of the development kit is that it has kind of mo- a little bit more power than your consumer unit because while you're making a game, you're both running the game, but then you're, you also need to be debugging it and sort of sure. running other programs simultaneously to it in order to fix it if it breaks and evaluate different systems. And so that's sort of your basic development kit for any what? of the consoles.
0: Well, to go from flow, uh, which was basically 2D, and then and then go into flower, you really seem to have gotten a hold of what the PlayStation was capable of, and utilizing some of that, uh, you know, internal power there, the built-in algorithms of the things that that you can take a hold of and and manipulate. That's already embedded in the in the uh, power of that processor and the cores and things like that.
2: Well, yes and no. I mean, there's only so much you can invest in your technology on a smaller scale project. And so larger scale, you kind of have more time to invest in systems and get really down deep. I mean, you also need programmers who are very interested in doing that. And it can be a pretty boring job to really get down into the nitty gritty of the, of the PS3. For smaller projects, what you'll see, um, like in Flow or an Everyday Shooter especially, we really didn't for those initial projects utilize sort of the SPUs and more of the power. We sort of tried to keep it contained into a realm that we were more familiar with because there were so many other moving pieces and your first development project is just sort of insane anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, So you really want to mitigate your technological risk as much as possible. Um, but then on Flower, you can see we we did a lot of work into researching the SPUs. That's how we get the grass system and the, the petal swarms. But you can see the grass system is really uh, utilizing the SPUs and, and fell out as a result of of the research our programmers were doing on the SPUs. But even so, on that project and this one, we do use the Fire Engine, which is sort of a middleware graphics engine done by the Sony internal. Okay. Um, so we're never like getting really into the guests of it especially as a small team with limited resources you unless you have those like crazy ninja eastern european programmers who are like way into it you could try and avoid
0: it right right. now is there a spark that happens to to try to think about making a game like flower is there research involved or is it just drawing from memory drawing from experience how does flower come about
2: Oh, man, I think all of the above, really. It definitely starts with the spark from our creative director, Genova. He came to us with this idea of trying to capture this feeling of nature through your PS3. It's almost like you could escape to a a happy place Mm. through your PlayStation 3. As we developed more, that concept evolved. Because it really came from Genova's experience from moving from Shanghai to Los Angeles and Los Angeles is a much more rural area compared to the megapolis of Shanghai um, and especially driving around California. he had never ever experienced nature in that way before so that's where you see the story uh, in flower of the urban versus the natural but The idea being that you really want to achieve a balance between both, and that not one is necessarily better than the other. And you kind of, if you're in the nature a really long time, you may miss the city. And if you're in the city a really long time, you might miss nature. Sure, Um, sure. Jenova definitely does a lot of reading in philosophy and storytelling, psychology, and it all feeds into our process.
0: Fantastic. Yeah, I was involved with another audio program for about uh, four years and my growth with that product had stopped for me. And as a parting gift, one of my beloved listeners, Noel Malinowski, gave me a PS3, Little Big Planet and a Blu-ray set. And because I was so touched by this, the generosity of of some of my listeners, I just let it sit in the box in the middle of my living room for you know about a week or so, uh, with the little Amazon two wiggly cards on them and everything, just so I could just soak it all in and just you know really appreciate it. And then um, one day, uh, Chizzy, my wife was she was feeling a bit under the weather. She had a rough week, and I remember reading about flower in one of these magazines I got for free after paying money to sign up for a discount club and uh, I said this sounds Pretty amazing. I really need to check this out. So I hooked up the PS3 to my television, my stereo, and I downloaded Flower. And not only was Flower the first game that I played on our system, but it was just the right kind of vegetable soup for the psyche uh, mm-hmm. that Chizzy needed, and she really she loved it. So that's my little Flower story and how it changed and all. It, it sort that's of just true. put a big giant rainbow and like when things were exploding on the television and becoming all green and the rainbow that extended out and to the living room.
2: Oh, man, that's a wonderful <laughs> story.
0: Right on. So now, Spike Television, you're on TV. Yeah. What's going on with that? You, you, did you Cable expect
2: television. that? television.
0: How's um, that yeah, feel? Yeah,
2: that was, that was amazing. We were not expecting that. We were thinking, Spike TV, Fueled by Mountain Dew. <laughs> oh, I just got to go to Charles H D or something. <laughs> hey, that seems like the perfect fit, so... We were just really honored, and, um, you know, I said, I said this probably a million times beforehand, but just I was really excited by it because I, I, it just really showed that these kind of games aren't just niche, artsy, fartsy games, that they really appeal at a commercial level, which is our goal. I mean, we really, I think, get labeled as the experimental and mm-hmm. artsy. Um, yeah. And by that meaning, like, sort of just niche or, or doing our own little things, but our goal is in making these games is to appeal to a wider audience the idea being that the gamer audience has been kind of limited in the past because the content itself has been pretty limited the variety in it and I mean I really love video games first of all and I play my fair share of Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 but you know, I want variety. And it's sure. like exactly that situation that you're talking about. You know, maybe you're at home and you're not feeling that great. And I just don't want to be in a place anymore where I'm thinking, am I in the mood for a video game? It's, I instead want to get to a place where it's just, well, what am I in the mood for? And that there's a game that's there for that. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I do. I get home from work and I'm kind of nervous about turning my system on because I know Call of Duty's there waiting for me. And I'm like, it's so stressful. I just got home. (laughs) Sure, sure. But I want to finish it. But gosh, it's so loud.
0: Yeah, Space Marines. Um, how much Space Marines can you take? Um,
2: oh, man. Do Apparently you th- never enough. <laughs> do, you, do, you,
0: do you think that Space Marines are at the point that two-on-two side view fighting games were at back in the in the 90s? You think we're at, oh, finally at that is, threshold? I never thought
2: about that, but yeah, probably. I mean, it's definitely the genre that, other than Wii Sports, I would say that the masses are most familiar with. I mean, sure. Everyone knows Space Marines.
0: Well, I can't, can't wait to see what the next pop genre is going to be, but I love how you mentioned the casual gamer and the hardcore, and, and the, you even worked that in your company ethics of that core appeal, uh, mm-hmm. so that really comes through as well. Uh, now, you mentioned that you play games, so what, what made you get interested in games? Why did you even go to this interactive media course?
2: Well, you know, it's funny. I actually came from theater. I got my undergrad degree at NYU in theater and was in New York for a couple of years working and managing in the theater scene and oh. I really got into developing original works and I actually applied to the USC Interactive Media program from a perspective of wanting to incorporate it into like multimedia and interactive performance pieces. But it was my second semester there that I took this critical studies of video games course taught by Tracy Fullerton um, that examined the role in games throughout the history of humanity. And I always played video games growing up, but I just never thought about making them until that point. But when looking at the role of games in, in, throughout history and then seeing what we accomplished in video games, you just really saw that we just scratch the surface of what was out there not only just what was possible but even like territories that we've covered in the past with board games still mm-hmm. haven't been really breached in um, in video games yet and it was just really exciting and it was just that same drive that pulled me towards doing original works in theater just really excited me in doing games and this sort of untapped potential and the lack of rules and structure i mean there's just really it's kind of a wild west in a lot of ways and it's slowly getting more formalized but really even still there's there's still sort of anything goes attitude no no one really knows what's the the right way to make a game yet so it's really exciting
0: yeah yeah were you a fan of like antonin Artaud or the surrealists or any type of that influence
2: Oh, yeah. Actually, I uh, ran a uh, g- game club group at USC, and we did a Surrealist Games event, which was just one of our most more popular ones. It was a lot of fun. So we played some of the games that those guys used to play to free their minds. Wow.
0: That was yeah. just a stab in the dark, just considering that you came from a more theatrical background and 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 the arts brought into there and that's, that's great what's what do you, what's next to put the audience in action anything right. you can talk about or Anything? Uh, on the I
2: can't talk about it. We okay. are doing our. I can say we were doing our third game for PlayStation Network, um, but that's about it. Otherwise, okay. will,
0: <laughs> sure, you know. I understand. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to hear from you and taking time out for the little guys when you're up there with the G4s and the spikes <laughs> and the things like that. So,
2: it's... no way, we're the little guys, and <laughs> it's just really uh, our. I mean, it sounds as so cheesy, but our fans are are really the 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 heroes and the big guys because they're the ones that get us access to those sorts of places and sort of get the word out there and in a way that can't be ignored and uh... Oh, they're just awesome
0: yeah it's a big circle and it's nice when it's a it's a friendly community and and there's there's plenty of uh, good stuff in the gaming community no doubt about that
2: that is true well
0: okay. thank you for joining us on we talk games
2: thanks so much for having me
0: right on Visit com to find out more about That Game Company. And visit ThatCloudGame.com if you want to download cloud. Find out what started it all. Now, that was two of our greatest interviews, I think. Uh, talking to people that really have a passion for, well, everybody that we interview has a passion for gaming yeah and kelly very accessible to get a hold of and lovely individual very easy to get on the show and absolute pleasure on our end it's really something when things go right for creative people you know what i mean yes that, that's yes. something that's neat to see happen and i think we're going to continue that with uh, a very prolific game developer as well and that is alex noisy from gaijin games so let's get him on the line Find out about the Bit. Trip series, and at that time, BitTrip Runner had just been released on Wii, and that was uh, generating a lot of excitement. So let's find out how he got into games, and let's talk games. Let's open it up to Gaijin Games and Alex Noisy. Santa Cruz! Alex Noisy, go! Yo. 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 Go. Go. Go.
3: Go. 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 go go, yeah. go. go. Yo. Yo. yo go yo yo go 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 go
0: Yo, 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 Alex, thank you for joining us here on We Talk Games this fine day. Dude, you're so welcome. I like to talk games. You like to talk games. We like to talk games. Now, Alex, usually I have a stack of 30, 40, 60, 90 questions in front of me. But today, I'm going to make it easy for you. Very, very special. In fact, in front of me, I have absolutely zero questions. Oh, so I guess uh, we're done. It was a pleasure being on the show. Let me clarify. I actually have one request. Okay. And that's all I really have before me. One request. So, Alex, please tell me everything. Everything, you say? Yes. That's all you have to do. All right. Well, uh, at the beginning,
3: I was dead, (laughs) and then I became alive. Yes. uh, As many of us do. And I learned what it was like to play smurfs rescue and gargamel's castle or whatever that game is called on the atari 2600 and i was better at that than my friend barry was he couldn't jump over the fences and i could and that became my the beginnings of my love affair with video games and from then i played metroid in the dark and that's what gave me glasses but it was worth every second of the rest of my life when I have to wear glasses just to play that game. And then I went to college and got smart. And after I got smart, I realized that getting smart isn't going to pay the bills. So I had to make things that would distract people from life right. to, uh, to pay the bills. And that's how I ended up making video games.
0: I see, I see. And uh, now you speak about Smurfs. Have you ever played the import from the Europe of Smurf for the Sega CD? You know, I have not. Is this something I need to do? Should I take notes here? Uh, if you played the, the 2600 version or the older versions, I think it's, it's pretty much the same with nicer graphics. But, yeah, you still have trouble getting over a fence. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, those I mean those smurfs they're only 3 apples tall, you know. What a, a fence is a major obstacle. It really is. And uh, yeah. to jump ahead incredibly. It reminds me of the steps in Beat Runner. But I'm getting way ahead of myself.
3: <laughs> well, Bit Trip Runner is uh you know, I, I think you're right. Those stairs are the, uh, are the Smurf fences of the big trip world.
0: You really have to understand that rhythm. And but once you do, it's okay. Yeah. So, but initially, you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing on this rhythm. Just wait till you get to the stairs paired with the space meatballs. Oh, my. Oh, my. Yeah. Level three. And you also say uh, that you wanted to create things to distract people from life or take away their time. And steal it right. And when I had Ralph Bear on, I don't know if you Mm -hmm. ever heard of that guy. Uh, Of course, (laughs) he played Bitret Beat. We have a photo to prove it. Wow, that's fantastic! Yeah, he he took big offense to me even remotely implying that video games are some sort of distraction or way to draw us out of life or or a a waste of time. Oh, maybe that's how. Maybe because I called it a waste of time. Uh, I definitely don't think it is a waste of time. No, a I don't g- think, it's a, I think certain games
3: are probably a waste of time, and I've played them, too. Uh, <laughs> and, and sometimes necess- you go back to yeah. them. Oh, yeah, and sometimes <laughs> we do. Like, uh, just the other night, I tried to pick up Princess Tomato in the Salad Kingdom for the NES and play through that. Sure, sure. And I realized, that's not the greatest
0: game, <laughs> and so I stopped. <laughs> and what, what an odd release for the, the Wii Virtual Console. The BitTrip series? No, the Princess uh, Tomato Oh, they released it on the virtual console? I play, I have the cartridge. So, I see, I see. Yeah,
3: I, you know, it's funny. I love the virtual console, but I don't own hardly any virtual console games because I've got a very extensive video game library at uh, home, you know, with all the systems. Sure, um, sure.
0: I, I have a... Pretty fair collection. I, I did sell off a lot of my NES games when I was trying to make a living doing podcasts, and uh, that's how well that worked out. Uh, Restaurant <laughs> Panic, Restaurant Panic was a big seller. That I got a lot of loot for that one. Nice, yes. Good. But even though I have a lot of systems, especially at TurboGrafx, that's, that's my number oh, yeah. one favorite system, I still, I guess I'm too lazy to, you know, break out uh, my uh, cartridges and CDs and everything else. And I can't help myself but picking up VC games just because of the convenience. Yeah.
3: Well, it's a great service. It, it is. It, sure.
0: It's really neat. And it, I think it shows that people don't mind paying for something that's legit. I mean, I think the reason that most of us do emulation is because they're not available for me to legitimately buy at a reasonable price so mm-hmm. and well
3: that's one of the things i was really excited about with the virtual console is it is a legit way to get it to get the games like for instance um i think it's blazing lasers for the turbo mm. for the turbo graphics i don't own that game so i bought it on the virtual console and that's nice because it was like what are what are turbo graphics games like Five hundred points, or yeah, yeah, five bucks something. And, yeah. yeah, so that's better than buying a copy of Blazing Lasers on eBay.
0: Now, Alex, uh, you you worked. Let's get back to you. Uh, you right. you worked uh, at Lucas for a while, I guess. I did, yeah, for about seven years, I think. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Just crazy. Did, w- were you there when Noah Falstein was there? The name sounds familiar, but I don't think I was there at that time okay okay gotcha
3: um yeah i started in 1997 at lucasarts and that was my first job in the industry and i started as a tester which was very very exciting for me um and in fact the first game i was testing was uh jedi knight mysteries of the sith and of course it's a pc first person shooter and um i'm a console gamer always have been And I don't really like first-person shooters, so I wasn't good at it. I was very unfamiliar with the controls. And my first day, they put me at this desk, which had the biggest television, like the biggest monitor in the whole test department, up high, like on this creepy pedestal where everyone could see me playing. It was like... It was the craziest thing ever, and I was just, I felt like such a chump because I could not play that game very well at all. Indoctrination by fire, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. so I was at LucasArts for a long time. I liked it a lot.
0: Very good. Now, do, did you ever have any insight to George Lucas's plans to destroy pinball?
3: <laughs> you know, George and I used to have um, secret meetings in the in the dark rooms to talk about that exact thing.
0: Finally! Um,
3: It was it was all me. I'd like to say.
0: Oh, this is great! (laughs) I've been waiting for this.
3: Yes. (laughs) Wow! All those months finally pay off. Yeah, exactly. No, George is behind a fortress. You know, he's like he's like Superman in the Fortress of Solitude. You know. I see. Uh, The very brief dealings I had
0: with George were polite yet brief. I see. I see. (laughs) Now, when did you strike out on your own? Then I actually. Tried to strike out on my own right after LucasArts
3: and start Gaijin games back then, but I didn't know anything, Um, you know, and uh, I had a team together and we were all kind of ready to go if if the stars aligned, but they didn't. Mm. So I retreated back into the video game corporate envelope or fold, if you will, and I took a job at Activision as a producer. Oh, that's interesting. And yeah, so I went from um, at LucasArts. I left there. Uh, I was in a design role at LucasArts by that time. And I left to take a, a producer role at Activision to see if I could learn a little bit more about the industry before trying to start my own company again. Always kind of thinking that I would. And after that, I jumped to a small independent developer called Santa Cruz Games here in Santa Cruz, California. And after a, sh- a short stint there of, um, I don't know, a few years, I decided okay. I think I know enough. I think I can do this. I got to find the right people and we got to We got to go for it. And I found Chris and Mike, my partners in crime. And we started out in 2008, I want to say. So we're almost two years old now.
0: Wow, and accolades since you're beginning there, uh, in fact, I don't know if you know about the Wii, but when you go to the virtual store, I mean when you go to the Wii Shop channel, you can actually scroll left and right. I just found this out recently, even though I've been reviewing yeah. downloadable arcade at home for quite a while, and I it's saw that new. it's a new feature I see I saw you are bit trip beat as an acclaimed game, so that's that's fantastic oh really yep critically Dude, I acclaimed. Just checked-
3: I checked that like two days ago and I didn't see that. I'm gonna check that this morning. Right okay. after this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's well, exciting news.
0: Yeah, it was it was there two weeks ago, so
3: Oh okay. Great.
0: Speaking of Bittrip Beat and I'm so thankful that who was it, Nintendo, when they wrote about I think BitTrip Runner, they called Commander Video Captain Video. Uh, well, I know. Guess they're big big fans of the honeymooners or something or or that series. Yeah, I know. And, and I'm right. I'm kinda happy that a big company like Nintendo did it because I think when I try to elude that we were gonna have you on a show in my downloadable arcade at home breakout bonus level mini sode, I think I called it beat trip beat. That's what I called it. <laughs> so, you know, it's just a tongue twister for me. Uh, it
3: is kind of a tongue twister. That's part of the fun.
0: Yeah, the exactly. Now, it, it, starting with Bit Trip Beat, I think your games followed a separate branch of the evolutionary tree of video games. How did you reset on what you were going to give to the people in this Bit Trip series?
3: What do you mean? Like from the beginning, how did we decide upon all of this or what? what? Well,
0: It's sort of like an alternative Earth or something where Mm -hmm. some technologies didn't progress while others did. Because, you know, we we had Tom Hewlett from Konami on and he brought back Rocket Knight. And that's like 2D on top of a 3D game. But Mm -hmm. your creations are like 3D on top of a 2D world. But the 3D Mm -hmm. looks like it belongs there. It's not like the opening video of a Saturday morning cartoon or something where you have traditional hand-drawn animation. And then all of a sudden you got the CG bit thrown in there awkwardly. It really right. it really all goes together. So, yeah. But it doesn't seem to follow the progression that other companies have. Like, okay, we're, we're going forward in technology. We put this in here. We add to it. We do this. Yours seem to have reset from zero and then just followed a completely different mindset, a completely different blueprint.
3: Yeah. Well, you're definitely right on the money there. At the beginning of the series, we were talking about you know, this sort of severely retro look we wanted where a lot of quote-unquote retro games kind of go back to the NES style, mm-hmm. and we wanted to take it even further back than that. I have a lot of classic games at home. I really like them. They're, you know, they're super blocky, the Atari 2600 or the Odyssey, you know, or the Bally Astro K or whatever. Mm. We wanted to take it to that extreme, but at the same time, we realized that doing exactly that would be kind of lame. Like, no one wants to play games that are quite that crusty. So, um what we wanted to do, what we set out to do was create the games that you imagined in your head as you were playing these older games like back in the day. Like so for instance, I I got Breakout, you know, when I was a kid, and I looked at the box art, and the box art blew my mind. You know, oh my god, do this astronaut and you're out there and you're breaking out of what oh man it's awesome and then you play the game and it's these little squares and it's slowly paced and you know and you're just like this is so awesome and it's because what you're seeing in your head is better Mm. than the game or it augments the game i shouldn't say it's better than the game because the game is very very good in and of itself but it's it's good because it allows you to to imagine as well and i think that a lot of new games kind of just hand it out to you. It's like, oh, this is what you should see and imagine. you know. So right. there's no active thought participation from the player. So we wanted to do something where it was like, simple gameplay, very easy to wrap your head around, and then let's take the backgrounds and the special effects and let's try to realize them on the screen as you used to see them in your head when you were a child. And, of course, what you get out of that is you get super wacky stuff that people don't know what it is, and they have to think about it, and and everyone's got their own opinions of what's going on in the Bit Trip series, and I think that's wonderful because it's got people thinking, and that's kind of where we wanted to be.
0: Was there ever any consideration in the beginnings to do the game entirely in watercolors?
3: Ha, that would have been so rad you know at the at the very very beginning there was consideration given to making these games actually look like atari 2600 games and um our artist looked at me and he was like are you out of your mind <laughs> nobody will buy that and i was just kind of devastated and i was like no oh, man it's going to be so awesome and he said, no way, no. He put his foot down, and I'm glad he did. And um, our programmer, uh, he put his foot down in a few different ways as well. And, and I think if I had had my say, these games would be very different, still probably pretty good, but maybe they wouldn't have gotten the following that they've gotten. And that's part of why I like working with a team. You get different perspectives lead to different outcomes and it ends up being better than it ever would have been anyhow
0: right right yeah how about the ColecoVision that was a little bit more advanced it was and in fact the
3: ColecoVision I think there's something about it where it's got a certain fidelity that is too advanced for for me to consider an inspiration for this series I see I see Uh, mind you the ColecoVision is a great platform you know I, I still have one at home and Ladybug on the ColecoVision is top-notch. I go back to that game and play that often. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's sort of, that's next-gen.
0: <laughs> it I'm was. Trying. It really <laughs> was. Yeah, a Jumpman Jr. is something I could go back to. And Oh, and yeah. An Arctic Advent, the one with the penguin going in 3D, uh, even back then. Arctic Adventure. Let's just talk about the series a little bit. And um, it, we start with Beat Trip... Uh, You did it. (laughs) I did it again. (laughs) Bit, trip, beat. And that, like you mentioned, has a pongy type of feel going on. And the great thing about it is you tilt the controller. You brought the spinner knob. Mm -hmm. You sort of made that happening, that feel. Yeah, we we
3: resurrected it.
0: I'll tell you what, dude.
3: I am so bummed that the spinner controller has died. Mm. There are so many more games that can be made in a genre that uses the spinner controller. Like, that used to be a staple of video games back in the heyday, like in the golden age of video gaming. Where has it gone? So I've always wanted to make a spinner game or a paddle game, and uh, all of a sudden we found ourselves trying to make one, and we prototyped a bunch of different control schemes, and the Wii Remote just felt perfect.
0: Yeah. So... I yeah, see. so I'm I'm really glad it worked out. Of course, another very important element of the whole Bit Trip series is the uh, integration of the audio and the soundtrack with this series. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know where this came from. I'd like to know, but one of the first mm-hmm. games I played that integrated the music with what I was doing was Res. Oh yeah, uh, but Res to me was not about like a retro 3D. Type of uh, game. To me, Rez was like a playable adaption of those CG studio music releases at the time, the, the Mind's Eye and Beyond the Mind's Eye oh, series. Yeah. <laughs> and it also, and another game that really integrated the music was, I guess, Mittner's Tempest 2000. Mm-hmm. And talk about playing with a spinner knob. I, of course, had to modify my Jaguar controller to have the spinner knob in, and what a different experience that is. Does it work well? Oh, uh, it works fantastic! Yeah, it's it's just like because you have to get the complete spinners from the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, not the not the yeah. pots that stop at the end, the ones from right. the Racing series, right. and of course probably have to clean them up because <laughs> they're a little bit dirty, and then mm-hmm. that whole casing can mount right on the back of the Jaguar controller, and it's just like a, a two or three solder points, what? and then, and yes, and then you just you press the uh, the secret code on your controller that allows for this spinner knob to be attached to it, which he knew that he wanted people to play with this. And you can no. screw it right into the back of the, of the controller. And then when you're holding the controller, your two buttons are right on your left hand, I believe. So you can grip them and control the zapper while you're spinning. You are kidding me. You have to send me a link to this. Okay.
3: Tempest 2000... We have it here in the office, and we did play a, a lot of it in, you know, sort of in the research phase for the Bit Trip series. It is one of my favorite games. I mean, Tempest is, if I were ever to get an arcade cabinet for the studio, it would have to be Tempest. I love that game so much. And playing it with a D-pad sucks. Oh, yeah. So... And yet I do it because I
0: want Tempest so badly. You know? <laughs> right, sure, sure. Yeah, I had a big Tempest party release because when I got it, uh, it was so impressive to me that I, ah. I called a party that weekend just so we could all come over and have pizza and uh, and, and play Tempest, and we had oh, it blasting. Awesome. So, and I blast your games as well. Oh, good. Yeah, let's Thank talk. You. I'm glad you do. I, I think also uh, they are they a distant cousin maybe of like the Rhythm Tengaku series at all.
3: Oh, maybe. You know, I could see that happening uh, or I I could see that connection being made for sure. The big or one of the big focuses of the BitTrip series, obviously, is the rhythm music integration. Mm -hmm. Harappa the Rapper changed my life and made me think of music in video games in a whole new way. Rez, of course, was also another huge inspiration. And when we set out to start the BitTrip series, we knew that a one-sided game of Pong, was not enough of a hook for BitTrip Trip Beat, and we also really were into this chip music genre mm-hmm. of music, where people are making music from old video game consoles and stuff. And so we married the two together, and we got this rhythm sort of rhythm music pong. A lot of people have said it's Pong meets Res, which is just so flattering to me because Res is one of my favorite games ever. And yeah, so the, the musical aspects became very, very important, and that's carried through the whole series, and it will continue to carry through the remaining games in the series too. Not to jump ahead too much, but the story that we're telling is, um, you know, is tied to sort of the rhythm of life, if you will, and, and music, and I think rhythm and beats, syncopation and, and melody and all of that is, is a very, very important part of life, whether we realize it or not.
0: Oh, sure. And then in BitTrip Core, you had the moving four beams, and you move the, the beams around to where you want this uh, laser to go. And I cannot, for the life of me, remember what game in the past I've played that was similar to this. I can maybe take a couple guesses, see, okay.
3: if, it, see if it rings a bell. Yeah. Um, cosmic Arc. Ah, that. that was it.
0: That was it. Is that it?
3: I yeah. believe, yeah. Yep, yep. So that's Cosmic it. Arc is one of my favorite 2600 games, not just because of the gameplay, although the gameplay is very good, but because of the theme, I think it's pretty funny. You're these aliens and you're abducting pe- people and animals and stuff, and I think that's pretty cool. Um, as we start each game, we try to look at inspiration in a lot of old classics to see how simple we can make the gameplay in each of our games, you know, and try to boil it down. Like, okay, what's the, what's the simplest thing we can do? And in Bittrick Core, the, the design at the beginning was, was a little bit more complex, and playing some of these old games like Cosmic Arc and then even playing some new games like Guitar Hero uh, yeah. really really helped steer us in the direction that Bittrick Core ended up in.
0: You said boiling down the gameplay, making it simple, but bringing an incredible challenge and the complexity uh, that's going on behind it. Like, I I mean, I could not imagine actually making a song out of all these hits. It's. I, I can't even fathom that process. It just seems so overly complex.
3: It's pretty wild. It's a it's a different process in making games. It's certainly something I've never done before in my career, and um, and it is a huge challenge for us. But we work with a fantastic composer and sound engineer at a company called petrified productions uh we contract with them for all of our in-game music and sound effects and the folks we work with there are just spot on they they help us out a lot and i I think that's important in a rhythm music series you know you need to have somebody strong doing that kind of stuff
0: sure also bit trip void was next now you build your void i mean when Mm -hmm. has this ever happened where you play the negative space of the game
3: yeah, and the game wasn't like that at first. It was super colorful, a lot of crazy stuff going on. Uh, you should see our concept art. Um, if I remember, I'll, I'll try to send one over to you um, in an email. But at some point in the game, we realized there was just it was just too busy visually. Mm. And our artist made everything black and white to kind of do some color value stuff. And we looked at it, and we just thought, whoa, this is something special here. And then that's that's how it happened. And in fact, the theme of Void fits very well to the, to the artistic style that we landed on, way better than it did with the colorful thing. And the theme is basically you're trying to, or you're following Commander Video's story through all of these games, right? And in Void, he is learning what it means to expand his sort of his quote unquote void, like, the space around you, the, the emotional space that everybody has, and you try different things and you have different experiences and they make you grow and some of them are bad experiences and they make you shrink, you know, and it's this risk versus reward. How mm. how cocky do I want to be? Greedy, how you know, how big do I want to get? And all of that. And um, just turning it into this black void made it feel like something indescribable, which really is these feelings that you have as a human. You can't really describe that, but it still exists. So that's how we ended up there.
0: It's it's amazing uh, that we we've had a couple developers that develop the older school type of feel of games, and those seem to be the deepest <laughs> thought out games. It's it's really it's really something. As you whittle them down, you come to a more deeper core, uh, if you will. And now, of course, the release of Bit Trip Runner, which really uh, you know, I mean, we we see Commander Video in action here. He really gets a going.
3: I think it's interesting because all the old games back when I was young, they were very high concept. And like you were just saying, where they, like some of the, some of these minimalist games are the most thought out. And I think that they kind of have to be because there's nothing else there. So it's like, I can't rely on gray aliens shooting at my gray space Marines in gray environments that are hyper-realistic and everyone's swearing and bleeding and shooting. You know, it's like, we don't have all of that to fall back on. You know, we've got some dots. So, how can we make these dots compelling? Well, we can make a, a very interesting backstory there. And I think that people in the heyday of the arcades did that as well. You know, I remember um, Beanie Bopper on the Atari 2600. Like, I'm, a, I'm a, an olive or an eyeball or whatever I am shooting <laughs> beams at propeller beanies and coat hangers and things. And it's like, oh my god, that's so awesome. You know? And it's very creative and, and exciting. And Working our way up through this high-concept stuff led to the, to the um, sort of obvious next step, which is becoming a little bit more literal. And in Commander Video's growth as a human, it seemed like an obvious next step as well So, from the story aspect. So he's, you know, sort of, he became, in Bitrit, Beat... beat Um, whereas he was dead before, then he wasn't kind of like I was at the beginning of the podcast. I'm talking about that. Then in core, he was basically built. I would say, um, he became physical. Then in void, he became, um, mentally aware. Now in runner, he has to become a master of his environment. You know, we all do. Once we grow up and we master all of these things, we have to go out into the world and make something of ourselves. And so that's what Runner is all about. And we wanted to keep the retro style, of course. Old platformers were very precious, um, and uh, arguably better than new platforms, I would, platformers, I would say. And so we wanted to keep this very simple vibe, but make it very frantic, really fast paced, yet not super punishing. And I hope it feels that way. You can tell me, uh, since you've played it, but that's what we're going for with
0: runner yeah yeah i, th- I think it's i think it's a very nice balance uh, just challenging enough and definitely you know above the casual experience as well but but open uh, you know very open i, I believe and, and you get the nostalgic feel as well so it's everything it runs the gamut of old to new games and i think that's what all your titles do just one quick question you you work for activision a little bit we see the radioactive gold bars in bit Trip runner what were those radioactive turds in keystone caper
3: man the radioactive turds in keystone caper i think they were radioactive turds <laughs> I, that's From all i could brushes. come up <laughs> that's all i could come up with I, uh, I mean what is more scary than a radioactive
0: turd i would jump over that you <laughs> Yeah, because if I don't, it goes, boom, with a little bit exactly. of reverb on it. Now, uh, you can find all of these titles in the Nintendo, st- I can't even remember the name of that. We Shop S- channel? Yeah, the Wii Shop channel under the WiiWare section. But you have to look for Axis. What's that about? Um, Axis is our publisher. Okay, very good.
3: Yeah, so they're all under Access Games, or you can just search for BitTrip by title, and you'll find all the games. Okay, fantastic. I would, I would encourage people to start at the beginning with BitTrip Beat and move on from there, but uh, but at the same time, if more character-based adventure floats your boat, then maybe start with the most recent offering, which is BitTrip Runner. Fantastic.
0: Well, Alex, we'll have to have you back on to talk about WarioWare Do-It-Yourself and your uh, your exploration of that and maybe even hit on your paper craft of of commander video. Uh, Thank you so very much for joining us on We Talk Games. It's been a blast. Great. Thank you very much. I'd love to be back on again. Right on, man. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Now there's three folks we need to get back on the WeTalkGames.com mothership show our We Talk Games show, our monthly video game magazine extravaganza audio version. You can't get the print anymore. It's uh, such a limited run that uh, only like five people get it. Uh, Because every game comes packed with a $500 bill. So we just can't afford to make that many. You know what I mean? Gotcha. We're in a limited budget around here. All three great guys, and if you didn't know... The um, Commander video is one of the hidden characters that you could be in a Super Meat Boy. And we just had right. Tommy and Edmund on our last episode of Interview Starcade. So that all ties together. It's all full circle. I found out that Alex, Noisy, yeah, Alex Noisy works in a studio very close to Edmund, and they chat quite often. And uh, a lot of neat things in Super Meat Boy. 17 plus, I think, hidden characters. So, yeah. There you go with our indie game marathon interviewer peoples. And if you count uh, Team Meat on the last episode and you put them all together, over two hours of incredible video game interviews from five of the biggest players in the independent gaming scene. Yes. They've all created a critically acclaimed title. So, fantastic. Hey, listen, if you like what you hear here, go to wetalkgames.com. Become part of that social media networking family of gamers. And uh, you know what? You can hearts. even
1: join a fight club, as recently.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, you can join a fight club and uh, and and have an avatar that looks absolutely nothing like you. Do get out <laughs> with uh, members of We Talk Games like Stinky the Game Master and Keith Laposh, and you could probably put the whooping on those guys as well as most people do. But uh, yeah, our, yeah, our our buddy Ouch is running the fight clubs using the um, UFC 2009, I think, or maybe switch yes. to 2010. I'm not sure. Uh, that that is sure. To happen, and, and he actually does the voiceover for it, so it's even more humorous with that. Hey, thanks everybody for joining us here on Interview Star K. We love bringing you the gems from We Talk Games. Talk to you soon, everybody. Bye now.